Good morning. How are you? Good. Welcome to Door Creek. Um, my name's R.D., and I'm one of the pastors here um, on staff, and uh, it's great, great to be with you. Um, we had a great, really great service last night. We saw people get baptized last night, and we have the baptism video that we'll show after the message, so if you're really here for that, it's coming after the message, okay? Um, and also last night, um, this was you never know what may happen, guys. You never know what may happen. At, at about 15 minutes, 15 minutes into my message, someone just came up on stage and just started talking to me. Yeah, no, I'm not kidding. Yeah. And uh, it was a little bit crazy. So here's the deal. If you want to talk to me, great. <laughs> Let's just wait till after the message, all right? Can we just pinky, can we just do that right now? Can you just say, RD, I got so many things I want to say, so many things I want to shout out. I'm going to wait 40 minutes. All right, so that, let's just make that come in because it was awkward. <laughs> it was a little bit, I was like, oh, yes, thank you, sir. Very good. And so if you see the video, it's on the video. So, because the one that we taped that goes out, it's on that. So you never know what's going to happen. So hopefully this morning is a, is a bit less crazy, but we'll see what happens. You never know. This is a wild, you know, the 1045 is a wild, a wild bunch. I, I know some of you. I see you. I know you're ready. You're ready. Let's just... Here we go. Uh, if you have a Bible, you can grab it. We'll be in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. And for those of you who are quick thinkers, you're thinking, we've been in 1 Corinthians. Yes, we have. And uh, we're right now in a little three-week series called Contagious Generosity. And this talk is going to be anchored in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and also parts of chapter 9. So you won't have to flip very far. So chapter 8 and uh, chapter nine. And we're going to talk today about um, the heart of generosity. So last week was the barriers generosity, kind of the ceiling, what prevents us from generosity flowing out of us. This talk is about the heart of generosity. How do we um, have generous hearts? And then next week I'll be talking about uh, the paradox of generosity, why it's more blessed to give than to receive. So the three points of the message, for those of you people that like three point, you know, uh, messages, you are in luck because the three points are, are simply this. Number one, what creates a generous heart? Secondly, what sustains a generous heart? And thirdly, what results from a generous heart? So what creates a generous heart, what sustains a generous heart, and what results from a generous heart? Number one, what creates a generous heart? What creates a generous heart? So in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 here, uh, the context, just so you know what the context is, Paul is writing to the church in Corinth. So he wrote them two letters because they just needed to know a lot, right? So they got, they got two letters. And in the second one, he's writing them again to encourage them and challenge them and help them. And he's writing in this specific part of the chapter, the, the book, about the giving of the church in Corinth. And what would happen is Paul would go around to the churches he started and he would ask for an offering from the people, a financial offering. They basically passed the plate and they would use those finances to bless and serve the first church in Jerusalem. That was the first church ever was in the city of Jerusalem. And because it was in Jerusalem, a lot of people went to that church. They went to Jerusalem on a pilgrimage. And so the church was always having to be hospitable because that was part of the early church. It should be part of us as well. But it was especially part of the early church. And so they were always expending, expending, expending. Not a rich church by any means, right? But they're using the money they have to 
help bless their city, to help make Jerusalem more like the new Jerusalem. And so Paul said, we want to help them do that because there's not really the church in Corinth and the church in Macedonia and the church in Jerusalem as if you're separate entities. There's one church, there's one body, and it has different expressions in different parts of the world, but you're all part of one family. So would you consider church in Corinth, followers of Jesus in Corinth, would you consider giving to your brothers and sisters in Jerusalem? And that's the context for this. They're, he's asking them to give. And he's going to use an example of an exceedingly generous church to kind of motivate them to see what type of giving, what type of generosity is found in another church. And that's the context here. So uh, chapter 8 of, of um, 2 Corinthians, verse 1, starts this way. And now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. These will be the example for generosity. In the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able, and even beyond their ability, entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people. And they exceeded our expectations. They gave themselves, first of all, to to the Lord, and then by the will of God also to us. So we urge Titus, just as he had earlier made a beginning, to bring also to completion this act of grace on your part. But since you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in the love we have kindled in you, see that you also excel in the grace of giving. I am not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others, the Macedonians. For you know know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. What creates a generous heart? It is the grace of Jesus. It's um, verse 9 right there, sinking down deep into your bones and changing you. Right? That's really it. There's, there's no really else that's going to create a heart that is generous Verse 1 here lays it out. Paul says, uh, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. So grace is going to be the, um, the whole idea uh, that, that makes the Macedonians a generous people. It's grace. It's not because they're better or because they're more awesome or because they have more money. And so they're more, in fact, they have the least money of probably all the churches. And yet they're exceedingly generous. And so just as a refresher or a reminder or for the first time, grace in the Bible means unmerited favor. We did not earn it. We did not deserve it. But God, in his grace, has given us all things, the forgiveness of sins, his presence, the spirit, all because of his deep love for us, right? It's God's inexhaustible desire to forgive us and to love us. This is grace, right? All of the other operating systems in the world are workspace. You've got to climb a ladder, and Christianity says Jesus came down the ladder. He then threw away the ladder, and he said, I'm taking you on my back all the way to the new heaven and new earth. And that's the foundation of Christianity, that it's all grace. And so if that's the foundation for being a disciple, for being a follower of Jesus, then it's the foundation for being a generous person. So this grace was permeating the church in Macedonia. And because it had just invaded their life, they were naturally a generous people. And so that's what we just want to be clear about. If you hear nothing else that, that I say, that uh, grace is what comes into your heart and makes you generous. There's nothing else that's going to make you as generous as the grace of Jesus will. And we see that here with the church in Macedonia. It has gone down into their, into their bones. It really has. We'll keep reading. This, I mean, 
Chapter 8, verse 2 is just a crazy verse, right? It makes absolutely no sense unless you're a follower of Jesus, right? In the midst of a very severe trial, so he's talking about the church in Macedonia, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in a rich generosity, right? The church in Macedonia is going through a severe trial of persecution. People are being killed in the church. Talk about things going crazy. You're wondering why, God, we're a church. Why are you bringing this suffering on us? They're walking through deep, deep persecution and suffering. And yet in the midst of that, they had overflowing joy and extreme poverty. These things are not opposites in the kingdom of God. They actually go together. And, and those two realities welled up in them like a volcano ready to burst. It welled up into them into rich generosity all around them. Now, doesn't that sound just crazy, <laughs> right? Because oftentimes, what do we do? We have overflowing joy with extreme wealth or extreme success or extreme happiness. And that's when we have joy because it's temporary. We base our joy on temporary things. And the church in Macedonia said, yeah, we have deep poverty, but we know one who in his poverty has made us rich. And so though we have nothing, we actually possess everything. How can we not give? Right? This is what grace does. This, this is grace. Grace makes you think like this. It makes you actually say, joy, poverty, they go together in the kingdom of God. It's astounding. And they, they keep going. It even gets crazier if that's possible. But it is, church. Verse 3, for I testify, Paul, that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability, <laughs> the Holy Spirit, entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us, Paul and the other disciples, for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people. So Paul's writing the Corinthians and he's just saying, guys, these, these people gave like crazy. Like it didn't even make sense. And so Paul would go to all the churches and he would ask them and invite them to give. But apparently he didn't even ask the churches in Macedonia because he thought, I'm not going to add that burden to you because you're barely taking care of your own needs all the suffering and the pain, I'm not even going to ask you. And so apparently he doesn't even ask them. And so he's talking about the kingdom of God. He's talking about Jesus. And the church probably knows that he's come to ask for money, but he doesn't because he doesn't want to burden them with that. And then apparently as Paul begins to like leave, they're like, hey, Paul, wait, wait, one more thing. You forgot to ask us to give. Can you imagine Paul's face? He was like, well, I haven't heard that one before. <laughs> Right, I, though I bet he was so deeply filled with joy because he thought, man, these people get it. Right, they are begging to give. They're basically saying, how can we not give? We cannot not give. Do not rob us from the privilege of giving to our brothers and sisters, to bless them and to serve them. Now that's grace, right? right? How, how many of us before we leave every Sunday are like, RD, you forgot to ask me to give. <laughs> right, don't forget to ask me. We want to have the privilege, the joy of giving to our brothers and sisters because they have needs just like us. And we know they would do the same for us. Man, only grace creates people that just beg to give and don't just desire to just hold it all in. That's this grace has just permeated the church in Macedonia. I wish I could have been there. It would have been unbelievable. They've just let verse 9 penetrate them. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. That's the heart of the gospel. 
Jesus, the riches of heaven, the relationship of the Trinity. He leaves all of that in the incarnation. That's what Christmas is all about. So that what he didn't have, which was you and I, he could attain. And he emptied it all out on the cross for us. That's what the Macedonians knew. And not just here in their heads, they knew it in their hearts. And I said, how can we not give? Grace creates a generous heart. It creates a generous church as well. Well, secondly, what sustains a generous heart? Grace. <laughs> surprise, surprise. It's also grace that sustains it. Here's what often happens is that we give, right? Many of you give, and I'm so thankful that you do. Um, and we have an experience of grace. God breaks into our heart, and right there can be a moment where I've, I've had this happen just to friends of mine, right? They've come to faith in Christ, and they're like, I don't need all this stuff, and they like sell everything in their house, you know? It's like, well, yeah, that's awesome. I don't, I don't know if you have to do that, though, you know, but they're just going crazy because they're like, how can I? They're on this like high, and it's just, but what often happens is then days go by, and they kind of begin to move away from it, Right? Now, they don't give here or don't give there, but it's not part of who they are. Because what often happens is though we've had an experience of grace, though God has broken into our hearts, we are prone to wander. We're prone to forget. And so what not only creates a heart that's generous, what melts a heart that's generous, but what keeps it melted instead of freezing back over is continually experiencing the grace of Jesus every single day, coming to his word, praying to him, being thankful for all that we have. That keeps creating a culture in your heart of thanksgiving, of gratitude, which results in generosity and giving of your money, of your time, of your home, right, of your table, of your words, of your prayers, all kinds of generosity. You cannot sustain generosity on your own desire. It will exhaust you, right? You'll feel guilty. You'll feel angry, right? Okay, here's the message on giving. Check. <laughs> it's Christmas time. Got to give again. <laughs> and not that you, you're doing it in a bad way, but if, if the culture of giving in your life is at Christmas time and every once in a while to church, then you are not cultivating a heart which is soft towards the needs of others. And so Paul is saying, guys, it's not just about a one-time moment. Grace needs to permeate your life because the mercy of the Lord is new every morning, Lamentations chapter 3. And if the mercy of the Lord is new every morning, we need to seek that mercy every single morning and have it wash over us. Because the tendency of our hearts is for it to freeze up, like Lake Monona, right? And the gospel is just like this great axe that just keeps piercing it and saying, don't, don't freeze up, don't harden up because we're prone to do, and the grace of Jesus keeps us soft to that in all kinds of generosity ways, because naturally we say, no, nope, mine, and Jesus says, no, nope, not yours, and that only can be motivated by grace. See, the, the Macedonians, they understood this. Verse 5, it says, they exceeded our expectations. I bet they did. They gave themselves first of all to the Lord and then by the will of God also to us. What he's saying there is not that they became Christians because they already were. When he says they gave themselves first of all to the Lord, it's like they recommitted themselves to the Lord. 
They said, we've been saved, but we want to keep experiencing. And so the only way we can be generous like this, the only way that this makes sense is that if we first give ourselves again to the Lord and say, Lord, all that we have is yours. And then by that power working in us, we're going to give it all away. Whoever needs it, we want to just use it for your kingdom. And so experiencing grace means every single day giving yourself back to the Lord, opening up your heart to his desire, to his will, to his way, trusting it is better than your plans and purposes for your life, for your money, for your desires. And that can only happen by grace. If it's not sustained by grace, you'll stop doing it. Or when you're asked about doing it, you'll, you'll just like tense up. Like we often do, like I can do. Paul then switches to the Corinthians and he says, guys, guys, here's how they were. And then in verse seven, he's now going back to the Corinthians and saying, guys, you excel in everything. So apparently they've improved from 1 Corinthians, all right? So they're getting better at things. This is good. They excel in faith. They excel in speech. They have great knowledge of God in complete earnestness and in the love that we've kindled for you. And Paul says, see also, Corinthians, that you excel in the grace of giving. Don't leave this behind. Don't let this be something you don't do as well. Excel in this. And then he says in verse 8, I'm not commanding you, which I love. Because Paul as an apostle had every right to command them. He could force them to do it. He says, I'm not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. He's saying, basically, hey, Corinthians, I'm not going to force you to give. I'm not putting a gun to your head. I'm just going to tell you a story about the church in Macedonia and what that church is like. And then I'm just going to leave it up to you. What do you want to do? Right? And that is what we're talking about here. And that's hopefully what you're hearing here. This is what Paul is saying. He's saying, guys, would you excel in the grace of giving, growing in it, cultivating a heart that's open and melting all the time. Paul then moves on and he says, in order really for us to have sustained generous hearts, we've got to be cheerful givers. So there's this famous verse um, in chapter nine. You can flip over to chapter nine. Paul's continuing this talk. And in verse seven, he says, each of you, verse seven, chapter nine, Each of you should give what you have decided to give in your heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. I bet a lot of you heard that verse, right? It's like the church guilt trip verse of all time, right? God loves a cheerful giver. So here it is, you know, like pass the plate, you know, really $5 for the blood of Jesus, you know, and it just becomes this like guilty thing. We've all been in churches like that. I've been. And you, know, you, you feel bad if you, don't, if you don't do that. And so what, what I remember being in a church and they had like the cheerful giver things on, um, you know, on the boxes of like the offering. I remember just thinking, ah, I don't, just don't like the word, you know, cheerful giver. It just seemed like fake to me. Like you've got to be cheerful to give and everyone who's giving is just cheerful. And it just seemed like, ah, but I, ah. And that was just like my, my reaction. And so as I'm looking at this first, I'm thinking, well, what is Paul saying by being a cheerful, joy-filled Giver. I think the best way is to compare it to what he's not saying. And so he gives two examples of the types of giving that we often are. Uh, he says it here in verse 7. There's reluctancy and there's under compulsion. So God says, I don't want you to give reluctantly or under compulsion. Reluctantly means begrudgingly. Under compulsion means maybe with a guilt trip type way. That's not what God wants. Because if you're motivated by guilt it'll not be sustainable. And you're just being motivated by the will, not by your actual heart. So Paul says, don't be motivated by guilt. Don't let someone make you feel guilty 
And that's the reason you want to give because, right, you, you, God has done all of this for you. You have to give. And if you don't give, you're a terrible person, right? That's not the motivation. It's look and see what God has done. How then can you not give? That's a much better invitation than you have to give or else. And yeah, that's often how it comes across. Paul says, Paul says, no, be cheerful, be joy filled. Don't give begrudgingly. God, God is not after our begrudging submission to his will. He's not after children who say, fine. <laughs> right? How many of you like that F word when your kids say it, right? <laughs> fine. Emily's like, don't ever say that word to me, <laughs> right? Because it's like worse than just saying, like, I'm great or I'm not. God is not raising kids who say fine when he invites them to give. He wants to raise kids who say, how can we not, Lord? Where do you want us to help the family? That's the kind of family he wants to build. That's the kind of family he wants to create. It's cheerful. It's joyful. And it, like, it does not mean that if you're not in this amazing place, you can't give. Okay? Or decent, I've got to be in this amazing place. Otherwise, I can't give. I'm going to not write that check this month. <laughs> no. No. Right? Please, write your check. <laughs> But what I am saying is that if you've never gotten to a place where there is joy, where you are longing to do it, then you need to actually assess, has grace broken into your heart? This unmerited favor of Jesus, this inexhaustible generosity of Jesus, has that actually captivated you? It'll actually change you. It really, really will. A cheerful giver. I love at the end of that, after Paul says, I want you to be a cheerful giver, as always, Paul reminds us that God is so faithful, verse 8, and God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. Paul says, here's the deal. When you give in all kinds of ways, financially, of your time, with your words, when you begin to live like that, God is going to bless you abundantly. Now, it doesn't mean that God's going to bless you necessarily with material things, right? Okay, I'm putting the check in the offering box. What is Door Creek sending me for Christmas, <laughs> right? <laughs> right? I'm gonna, like, what do I get the best result for my investment, right? It's not investment banking. It's how the kingdom of God works. So I give here and then God gives me here. No. What does Paul say? He says, God will bless you. And in that blessing, he's going to give you everything you need. Not everything you want, right? Everything you need for what end that you can abound in every good work. He doesn't say God is going to give you everything you need so you can be fully satisfied in all God has given you. He says God's going to bless you with his presence with his spirit, with more of who he is so that you can abound in every good work that he can then send you out like a boomerang into the world. It's this reminder, let's trust God that he actually will provide like he says he will. A cheerful giver knows God will give me all that I need and understands it's not always what I want. I know God knows better than I what I need. Grace creates a generous heart. Grace sustains a generous heart. The last point is this. What results from a generous heart? What results from a generous heart? It's really, there, there's so many things. We'll pick out three here that Paul talks about. One is joy for the giver. It's joy for the one who gives. Secondly, it's a blessing to others in the church and in the world. And thirdly, it results in glory 
and praise and thanksgiving to God. So those three big things, joy for the giver, blessings towards others, and glory to God, thanksgiving to God. Three huge things, right? Three big things. Paul's going to talk about them here at the end of um, chapter 9. You say verse 11, you, you who give, you who generously give, you will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. So Paul says, you're going to be enriched when you give, right? God's going to be blessing you with his presence when you give. He's going to enrich you and build you up and sustain you and put joy in your heart. Because when we're following Jesus, we're following after joy itself. And so if following Jesus means, means being generous, then God's going to enrich you. And even as you're giving all these things away, and next week I'm going to talk about the paradox that though you're giving everything away, Jesus is filling you up more and more. It's just amazing how it works. And so though in kind of a worldly sense, we're like giving everything away, which makes it seems like, what do I have left? God is going to be enriching you and giving you more and more of himself as you are more and more generous for the purpose, right, that there will be thanksgiving and glory to God, right? We do not give to get. We give to give more, right? We give to give even more. That's what Paul says. He says, when you're being generous, when you're giving, amazing. God's going to sustain that and help you give even more, that it becomes more a part of who you are. That's a promise here. He's going to enrich you. He's going to bless you. He's going to sustain all of this. Verse 12 through 14, this service, this giving that you perform is not only supplying the needs of the Lord's people, but is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. Because of the service by which you have proved yourselves, others will praise God. Others will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ and for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone else. Paul's saying then two other things here. Your giving is going to bless the church and the needs of the church. It's also going to bless the needs of people, right? Your giving, yes, ends up in great glory to God, but it's actually tangibly going to bless the needs of people so that when money comes in to Door Creek Church, our first thought is not, how can we make, how can we just hold on to this, right? <laughs> how can we grow the bank account? That's not how we think. We want to say, how can we use what God has entrusted with us to bless our city so that more people come to faith in Christ, so that more people know Jesus, <laughs> right? Wouldn't it be amazing if you ran into someone and you start talking about church, if that were to happen in Madison, but if it were to happen, right, and they started asking you, or they knew you went to Door Creek, and, and what if when they heard you went to Door Creek, they said, ah, I heard, I heard you guys are the generous ones. Hmm. Well, what if they said that? Not the perfect ones, not the judgmental ones, but what if they thought you, you guys are the generous ones? You are. That can only happen by grace. I love what Paul says here. He says, because of the service, by giving away to the needs of people, especially those on the margins, right? Especially those on the margins, women, children, orphans, widows, giving in that way. Those are all over Jerusalem and Corinth. 
Because of this service by which you proved yourself, others will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ. So here's the deal. By your generosity, when you open up your home, when you open up your wallet, when you open up your heart to being even rejected by someone, which can always happen when we're generous with, our, with ourselves, right? People are going to reject us. It's going to happen. But when you do that truly from the heart, Paul says, people will come to know God because of your obedience to the gospel. Are you, are you kidding me? God is going to use my obedience, as faulty as it is, my confession that I believe in the gospel, the good news of God's love for us in Christ. He's going to use the way I'm, use, I'm just using everything for him. He's going to use that so that more people in the eternal city will say all praise and glory to God. Your giving can have, can have a, an unbelievable effect and more people looking at you and saying, why do you give like that? Why are you opening up your home like that? And say, because God is so generous. I'm not doing it, right? <laughs> I'm not, but Christ in me is turning me outwards because I actually have everything that I need. I have everything that I need. I got a note after the last service Someone just said, they just said, wondering if I can help with a bedroom in my home for someone who's homeless. Call my cell. Love to help. Now, I'm not saying everyone has to turn a card like this, okay? That gets into legalism, and it gets into just you have to do these things. But what I am saying is, is the posture of your heart, I'm open if God wants to do that. Or is it, I, no, no. <laughs> God wants to work on our heart, what we're open to, that many people would come to know him. And how does this happen? Well, it just it, again, it's grace. It's verse 14 and 15 here. And in their prayers for you, their hearts, the church in Jerusalem, will go out to you because of the surpassing grace God has given. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift, the life of his son, Jesus Christ. Thanks be to God for him. He's the one who's sustaining this. He's the one who's motivating this. He's the ultimate gift. He's the ultimate gift. And because he gave so generously, so uh, exceedingly, then we can be people who give. We can be people who are shaped and formed by the one who's always giving himself over to us. Because you cannot outgive God. You cannot outlove God. You cannot outserve God. He's always overgiving. He's always giving even more, even more generously. He's always doing that so that we would respond to that and say, how can we not give? How can we not serve, right? I am not interested here. Jesus is not interested in getting more donors to build a great church. He's interested in getting more disciples to see the kingdom of God come on earth as it is in heaven. That's what he's passionate about. And if you give your money, that's great, right? That should be part of it. If money stays at the door, then you're not seeing the kingdom of God come on earth as it is in heaven. But if you are only hearing Mark or I say, hey, we want your money and that's going to help us do some things. That's not what we're saying. We're saying God wants your heart. He wants you to be a disciple of Jesus. And I guarantee you, if you become a disciple of Jesus, you will say, like they said to Paul, hey, wait, we want to give. We want to be so generous. Because we know in our giving, there may be orphans that get adopted. Right? There may be widows who come to know the love of, of Jesus. By us opening up our home, maybe people will come and, and taste and see how good God is, how kind God is how generous God is, because it's not, it's not about us making a great tower of Babel for ourselves. It's about God who came from heaven to earth, that in his poverty we became 
we became so rich. What, what a surpassing gift that we have that's ours. How sad if we never open it or we keep it wrapped up. You know, in my, in my journey of generosity, like Mark said, you know, um, last week, it's a journey. And I can just testify that, you know, the, 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 the leader of our church is someone who is growing in generosity and wants to be generous. And that's been a great model, you know, for me. And when he said, hey, I would love for you to preach two of these messages. And I thought, you know, always, oh, great, can't wait. And then I began to think about generosity. And I was like, oh, don't you want to do those? It's the guy, right? You want to do those. And then I'll just do like the gospel stuff. And, you know, just, ah, I just, I don't like the tension, you know? And Mark, he was like, no, no, because this is central. This is a part of who we are. And so I was like, all right. Okay, begrudging submission, right? Just trying to work out, of, <laughs> work out of that. And so I just began to look at my own heart. I began to read 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and 9. And there's a moment where I was reading about the church in Macedonia where it had their overflowing joy and their rich generosity. And I thought, and it welled up in, into uh, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up into rich generosity. And I thought, I don't, I don't think I've ever really felt, I don't think I've ever really thought about that. I, I, just, I just read that verse and I thought, my goodness, they love Jesus. My goodness, do they love Jesus. And I thought, do you love Jesus like that? I mean, well, my wife and I, we give. Um, we give to the local church. We give outside the local church. So you can give to both of those, right? You give all kinds of ways. But I remember just thinking, I was like, oh, Lord, I don't feel like I'm actually <laughs> that generous, you know? And so then God was like, well, let's, let's work on that. And so um, I remember it being like, God was like, what if we're using some of the money that you have to you know, to help do this, do this, or do that. I remember, you know, my first reaction was like, yeah, it sounds great. You know, and then a second later, I'm like, yeah, but that's not really going to happen, <laughs> right? As if God couldn't hear the second part. Because <laughs> your first reaction is like, yeah, I told, the part of you is like, I totally want to do that. And then, then fear comes in, and you begin to think about it, and you think, yeah, but not now. Now's not the time, right? It's never the right time. And so I was really wrestling with this message. I was wrestling with it in my heart. And I was just like, I don't know what I'm going to say, actually. This could be the biggest bomb ever because I don't, like, personally, it's like, what am I, what am I going to say? And so I, I was just praying. I was like, the Lord, I was like, Lord, what do, you, what do you want from me? I don't know. And so I was in bed one night, as I do most nights, and uh, I was, I, I hear the Lord, you know, speak to me. Okay, I didn't hear a voice. Okay. If you're not a follower of Jesus, sometimes God speaks to followers of Jesus, okay? And I didn't hear a voice, but there's been only a few times in my life where I felt the Lord actually, like, speak to me, which is both awesome and terrifying, right? Only been a few times, and I woke up in bed, shot up in bed, and I felt the Lord just say this. Now, this is just to me. I'm not making a blanket statement to everyone, okay? I just felt the Lord say this to me. He said, R.D., you're afraid. So you, you are afraid of trusting me with the reality of living and giving that you've never actually tried. You, you are in fear of trusting me with your money, with your home, with your heart, like really trusting me. And you never actually tried doing it. And I remember thinking, yes, yeah, I am. I am afraid actually. And it's not that, um, I think like most of you, we don't, we don't, we're not saving our money to go only use it on ourselves. 
right? We're, we're saving money and we're using money, but it's just, it can be so hard because we just want to keep it for, for ourselves. And, and the Lord said, he was like, do you really think that I won't take care of everything you actually need? Do you really think if you really try and live like this by my spirit, I won't take care of you? I won't bless you. I won't show you even more of myself, that the kingdom of God won't come through you even more. Do you really think I'm going to abandon you if you really try and outgive me? And I thought, well, no, I don't think so. But I think maybe I've thought that for a long time. And so just to show you how I had that moment, but it's a process, and just to be totally honest. So I told Emily and I went out, and I was telling her all about, I was like, Emily, this is, what if we just really gave this, and what if we did this? Of course, my wife, Emily, is like, great, awesome, let's do it. I'm like, wait, you're, I've been through this big process, and you're already there, you know? It's like, (laughs) you know, and she's just exceedingly, you know, generous. And she was like, well, what if, what if we give, you know, all of our tax refund away to help with refugees? And I'll just be really honest. Here was my first reaction. No. I'd just been through all of this, right? This movement, you know, and Emily throws this question out. And, and I'm, my first reaction is, but mine. And I didn't go to so I can buy a TV. I went to, yeah, but we've got to pay for the plane tickets, go to Texas in April. And we've got to buy gifts for all of our family. And we've got to do all of these things. And it's just, that's going to help that. We're counting on that money to come through to do all these things. And it just went to me, me, me. Not bad things, but really God exposing where my treasure was. And Emily was like, these are things that we've got to wrestle with. These are things we've got to wrestle with. Look, we, we live most of our lives with our hands like this, right? We all do. Because too many times when we've done this, we've been hurt by other people, by churches. And so we just do this. And it's the plan of the enemy to make us do this more and more and more and to clench even tighter and tighter and tighter and to hold on to the things of this world, even though we know we can't. And every once in a while, the Spirit of God blows and wakes us up in the middle of the night, and our pinky does this, right? And we say, oh, I want to give. Or we hear a message on giving, and it's like, I really should. Or it's Christmas time, and you see the sad pictures, and you're like, oh, I should really give. But your heart's not really wanting to give. But everyone, and sometimes it's like this, and then fear comes in, and it's like this, right? Because you've given your heart away. You've given your money away, and it's just, it's too much. And so you just, you just feel like, I just want to hold it. But Jesus Christ lived his whole life like this, right? He lived his whole life like this. He never did this. And talk about someone who had a right to do this. Talk about someone who had a right to have a shield. He knew everything was going to happen to him. He knew the rejection. He knew all of it. In all of your lives, he's known everything about you, everything you've done, everything you haven't done. And he's lived his whole, he lived his whole life like this. And he got to the point of the cross where he was on the cross and his hands are like this. And they put nails through him. Right, they put nails through him. Jesus Christ was the one through his overflowing joy and his extreme poverty. It welled up into him, into the cross. Into the cross. And here's the deal. This is between you and the Lord. But I would just submit to you this. When you look at Jesus Christ on the cross, when you see that he became impoverished so that you could become rich, how, how do you react to that in how you live, in how you use your home, in how you use your wallet, in how you use your words, in how you use your time? Oh, by the Spirit, would we look at that and say, how can we not give? Here's how you know Jesus Christ is your treasure. Here's how you know that you're, guys, we never arrive. It's always a journey. Let me encourage you. It's always a journey. One day the plane, the plane will land. 
Here's how you know that Jesus Christ has become your true treasure. When you, when you open up your hands again, and they're trembling, right? But they're no longer trembling in fear of what you're going to lose. They're trembling with great faith of all that God might do through you. Because he's made your heart generous. And he says, go out into the world with hands like this. Because everything you truly need, I have already given you. And I will always, always give it to you. Oh, friends, let's be the generous ones. Let's be the generous ones. Let me pray for you. Father, how but for the spirit of God could we ever say, let us give more? Because it makes no sense unless Jesus Christ got up out of the grave. But good news, he did. And so what do we have to fear? What do we have to fear? Father, I pray for all of us who can be cynical, for all of us who can be afraid, would you just stop our hearts from all the objections that come up, but this, but this, but this, but this, and just would we sit at the foot of the cross and say, look at, look at, look at that man. He held nothing back. And now he is exalted at the right hand of you. Oh, Father, would our church be like the church in Macedonia? Would we give not out of begrudging submission or out of guilt, but out of glad enjoyment of all you've given us. Father, that's your heart for us. Open hands. Do your will, Lord. In the name of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who loved us and gave himself up for us. And all God's people said, amen, amen. amen.